quick thank you to our sponsors for making this podcast possible. They keep this show free to listen to. With Mother's Day around the corner, are you thinking about a truly special gift for your mom? Let me tell you about mylifeinabook.com. It's a unique service that turns your mom's life stories into a beautiful book. Pretty cool, right? Here's how it works. Every week, mylifeinabook.com will send her questions via email. These can be pre-written questions about her life or any custom questions you wish to ask. And then she can either type her responses or use their voice-to-text feature. And mylifeinabook.com compiles all of her responses into a beautiful keepsake book. And guess what? They can even create an audiobook using her voice recordings. It's like preserving her voice and her stories for eternity. This book becomes a legacy, something your future generations can treasure forever. Your mom's given you a lifetime of stories. This is your chance to give her a way to share them. I used mylifeinabook.com to compile my own stories to give to my daughters for Mother's Day. Check out mylifeinabook.com and use code PEACE at checkout for 10% off. Create an unforgettable gift for your mom this Mother's Day. That's mylifeinabook.com. Use code PEACE for 10% off today. I'm Michelle, recovering yeller, control freak, and perfectionist. I didn't want to be a connected parent, but my strong and smart oldest daughter would not succumb to my bribes, threats, and manipulations. After years of control parenting, I threw it all out and started over. I doubled down on the idea of connective parenting and turned in time out for time in. It's taken me years to figure out how to unknot sticky situations without using punishments, but I've finally cracked the code And now I can help you create the relationship with your child that you dreamt of having when you first decided to become a parent. It's not easy letting go of star charts and bribes, but you can change. Listen in as we interview parents just like us who found success and hear from experts who will help us better understand how to form a deep bond with our children. Welcome to the Peace and Parenting Podcast. Welcome to the Peace and Parenting Podcast. I am so lucky to have lovely guests, Kelty and Hannah from Upbringing, and they have an amazing audience on Instagram. If you don't follow them, you should. And I've been diving into all things Upbringing. I'm so impressed with all of their materials that they have for their audience and their theory and the great and passionate way they think about children. So thanks for coming to the show, ladies. Thank you, Michelle. So happy to be here. Yeah, it's great. So why don't you tell us just a little bit about yourselves, who you are, where you are, and what brought you to this work? Oh, yeah. Well, we like to identify as twins, moms, speakers, coaches, and usually we say something like very tired moms or (laughs) works in progress. (laughs) Yeah, works in progress. We kind of throw that in there depending on how we're feeling, what we're doing. But we started upbringing, oh, it must have been almost two years ago now. And we're certified coaches in simplicity, parenting, positive discipline, Rye Foundations. And we love talking about the hard stuff and why the good stuff, specifically around discipline. We are all about dismantling conventional discipline and finding new, respectful, research-informed practices to make change, not just in our homes, which we call sanity, but also outside our homes, which we call social change. So we're parenting for sanity and social change. We live on a farm in two separate homes with our families up in Portland, Oregon, just outside. And we've got kids. We both have boys who are four and girls who are six. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So fun. I love the way you guys are very 
unapologetic about how you view discipline and conventional parenting. And I'm so on board with that. And I'm excited to dive in today and talk about cooperation, which I think I pulled my audience once and I said, what's your biggest problem? And 90% of the people said, just need my kids to brush their teeth. Like, why is it so hard? And I think parenting is difficult and getting our kids to follow our lead is not always easy. And finding the best ways to do that isn't either. So let's dive into what makes cooperation so hard and how can we try to make it easier? Yeah. I love that you're using the word cooperation because What we hear from a lot of our community and coaching folks is they're not listening. They won't do what I ask them, right? It's more problem oriented. It's more about the child. And I love that. How can we be supporting our kids through cooperation says we're co-operating here, right? It gets straight to the point, which is our kids can't do all this on their own just because we snap our fingers and say it's time, right? I know, but so many people will be like, well, my parents did it. My parents just said, do it or else. Right. Yeah. Yeah, A lot of us grew up that way. The control approach. That's what we like to call it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Which we actually have an acronym. What is it, Kelty? Consequences (laughs) on my terms, now, threats, rewards, overpower, lectures. And we like to throw shame and spanking in there too. Oh, I love that one. I want that. That's so good. That's the mainstream conventional parenting toolbox that all of us, that was used on us. And then that was handed to us. There you go. There's yeah. your conventional parenting toolbox. Good luck, everybody. And then it you feels know? good to you because you're like, oh, that's home, right? That feels like no, that hurt. It's instinctual. Right. Well, it yeah. definitely, I wouldn't say it feels good to everybody. I think it feels natural. It comes yeah. very naturally and instinctually, which I think at first can trick us into thinking that that's what we should be doing. But I think for Kelty and me, when we came into this parenting thing, and I think for a lot of folks we work with, they start feeling that dissonance at a certain point, that feeling in their stomach or in their chest where it doesn't feel right. They're using all these things that come very naturally, but Mm -hmm. something's happening. Oftentimes it's because of the way their child is responding to these things, right? The way we were making these bids, the way we're eliciting their cooperation or demanding it rather, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's funny. We often are like, they need to cooperate with me. They're not cooperating. And I think that that upbringing, we like talking about putting that onus back on us. How are we engaging cooperatively with our kids about these things, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's really good. I really like that. And the other thing I was just thinking is that, you know, with that whole control parenting, and like you said, these behaviors sometimes for some kids who are strong-willed or who just aren't going to have the manipulation, they really are going to stick their heels in the ground and say, I refuse to be manipulated by you. And that becomes super unraveling for us as parents. And so I think that's where some people get. Could have stopped. Yeah. Yeah. I think that we like to talk about our kids' resistance as a roadmap for us. And we're working to redefine that resistance and look at it as a beautiful thing, as kind of the ding ding that says, whoa, hold up there, mom, hold up there, dad, Mm -hmm. hold up there, grandma, for one second. I'm feeling this resistance from my kid. That is my chance to examine the way that I'm going about doing this, the way that I'm inviting them to do this, the way that I'm eliciting their cooperation, the way that I'm requesting their presence or their action or whatever it Mm -hmm. is. I think so often I hear myself and I think awareness is the first part of this. None of us should feel shame. None of us should feel guilt about how we're going about getting our kids to cooperate. I think it's just helpful to think of, hey, there are alternatives that can actually work better to keep us close, to build their skills, right? To feel Mm -hmm. better for us personally. But I think awareness is that first thing. And so I was thinking earlier, I've been listening to myself this week. You know, it's the week before Christmas. 
things are getting a little busier. I'm feeling a little stressed. We've had a lot of calls and different things going on. And I've been hearing myself say, babe, it's time to come to dinner. Babe, pick up those toys you played with. Babe, screen time is over. Mm -hmm. Babe, stop bothering your sister. You know, babe, you need to brush your teeth, you know, or I'll just say their name over and over again. Babe, babe, babe. And I'm realizing, oh my gosh, this is the control paradigm I'm falling under. This is the trick that I'm playing for myself that says, you just need to say their name enough times or say what it is enough times and they need to understand it. That yeah. I don't have to do anything else, but just use my words. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? And that's I problematic. Think, yeah, you know? it is problematic. And I think the expectation is that we expect our kids to do everything we say. And that's mm-hmm. just not realistic. Nobody does everything anyone says. And nobody wants to feel like they're being over-controlled like that. And I think it's okay for them to say no to our request. And it's okay for us to, you know think, how can I get this request fulfilled or how can I help them get it fulfilled so that we don't get into this like angle? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, but that's fighting against a lot of conventional beliefs that we have. You know, when my child says no or ignores me or laughs at a request I make or does mm-hmm. something like that, basically showing me all these different ways they're resisting this idea that I have or this control that I'm exerting on them so lovingly with the best of intentions automatically in the back of my mind, I have these thoughts, these automatic negative thoughts. They're disrespecting me. They're not taking Mm -hmm. me seriously. Uh They're doing this on purpose to annoy me. What were you saying? They're not listening. I think that's a big one is that everyone says they're not listening to me. No, they are Mm -hmm. listening to you. They're choosing not to do what you ask, but they're listening. And I think maybe too, we have old hurts of not being listened to as kids. And so when our own children don't listen to us, then it kicks up our old hurts. And then we get into this place where we fall into that child category, you know, emotionally or whatever. And it, then it triggers us. Oh man. Yeah. The trigger. I mean, I think that's when I say to myself, well, I just need to be louder or repeat myself (laughs) or I just need to make them listen to me. Right. (laughs) Yeah. The repeating I think is the hard one because I see a lot of parents just keep saying it and saying it, saying it, and then they become more and more angry and upset Mm -hmm. and it gets you to a really bad place. Yeah. Yeah. We like to talk about goals too. Just thinking about what kind of child we want to be raising. Do we want to be raising a robot or a people pleaser or someone who's constantly needing to be nagged, to be reminded all of these things. And and I think that that's where we end up feeling stuck as parents too. Like, how can I break this cycle? How can I get out of this kind of locked in thing where I have to say it five times before they do it? Right. I love that, Kel. It's like that idea of saying, when my kid gets older, are they going to need to have an incentive or a consequence to motivate them to turn in their high school papers, to get their taxes in, to go to the gym, to do anything? We don't want to be conditioning our kids to be externally motivated for things that pertain to their own lives. And so I think that's the question is how can we, and I'm excited to hear your ideas, Michelle, how can we be bringing them into this a little bit more adaptively so that they want to want to brush their teeth. You know, we want them to want to get dressed. We want them to want to choose their shoes or put their screens away. How do we do that? I mean, I think for me, it's all about connection. The deeper and more meaningful and better my Mm -hmm. connection is with my kids, the more willing they are just to follow my lead. And I try to say it like that. Like I'm not like ordering them around or giving a lot of direction, but I'm just trying to lead them in a certain way that's going to be more helpful for them and more helpful for me and more helpful for us as a family. And can I get them to come along? And I think the best way is to 
build that relationship part. If you have that relationship part, then they're more endeared to you and they're more willing to, you know, accept what you're saying. And they know that you're on their side. So they also want to be on yours. I love that. I love that you said trusted. And I love that you said leader. I think that so many of us were raised to think that we need to demand respect from our kids, that we need to lead with fear often. And I think that it's a beautiful thing to be leading with the power of our influence, really, and the power of our connection. I love that you said that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what do you say to our parents who are like, I can't get anything done without, you know, (laughs) threatening and bribing and they won't listen and I don't have a choice. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it can really feel like that. And I think, again, it's all about awareness. I would suggest, and I've done this myself before, and a lot of folks we work with do this, is they write down those moments where they struggle to communicate with their kids and to get that collaboration or cooperation and to just notice where is it that when I make a demand, I mean a request (laughs) that they push back, where's that happening? Is it always about toothbrushing? Is it always before a meal and kind of put our investigator hats on and think, figure out when is this happening? Piece these things together a little bit. I like, you know, I think that would be the first step is to just gain some awareness and then think about not just what our demands are. I think very often we're like, I'm very clear on why this needs to happen. But I think oftentimes we forget that our kid is not clear on why it needs to happen or they Mm -hmm. have not had buy-in about it. Mm -hmm. So I think that's when we also consider outside the moment and within the moment, outside the moment, have we brought them in on the why about screen time amount of time? Have -hmm. they had the buy-in to create a family agreement around it or For a younger child, have we done a day flow chart where they have some understanding of what happens, right? Just where Mm -hmm. they're feeling more security and awareness in what's going on throughout the day and they feel safe in their own lives, right? Mm -hmm. So it's Mm -hmm. not taking them by surprise. They're not feeling natural resistance in transitions. And then in the moment, I think considering our approach is one of the biggest things. Kelsey and I are very sensitive people. And so words, tone, body language really affect us. And I think they to a certain extent, affect everybody. And they definitely affect our kids, especially from an attachment figure like us, right? Mm -hmm. I think oftentimes I see myself, I'm yelling across the room Mm -hmm. that it's time to do bedtime. Mm -hmm. Uh, No, that how much connection can happen from yelling (laughs) across the room. (laughs) Or it's so much easier, (laughs) right? But it's basically a wasted bid across the room. And if anything, it it ups the anxiety, right? It sets us off on a, a difficult foot. So moving over to our child. And then oftentimes I'll notice I'm standing over them. And sometimes I even have my arms crossed, right? (laughs) Or I'm on my phone at the same time. Not such a great bid for connection there either, right? Or sometimes I'll find myself squatting down. So I'll get all the way across the room. I'll squat down, but then I'll immediately tell them what needs to happen, right? And how much connection is happening there compared to saying, wow, and showing them and connecting saying, what are you working on right now? Gosh, you're in flow. I'm gonna respect you. And what you're doing right now, mm-hmm. right? Do you have yeah, a and then second? It, yeah. yeah, I like that too. Do you have a second? Or then it's like, when's the last time you did connect with that child? Or has it been hours? And then the only thing they're hearing mm-hmm. or, or seeing of you for the last few hours is you making a request. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And how does that feel for them? How does that land with them? You know, mom's really busy and the only thing she wants is for me to do stuff. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't feel good to be treated like that. That's huge. So, you know, finding once you figured out those moments that are tricky, say, can I spend five minutes of rolling around on the ground, of reading with them, of singing a song or a joke or doing something that creates that connection? Because with that connection, like you said, Michelle, 
is cooperation. Yeah. You know, cooperation can happen from control also, but at the expense of relationship, at the expense of their own self-motivation, right? Yeah, so oh. true. And I'd say the one other thing that I like to tell people too is just ask one time. And if you get pushback, you've got to like reevaluate how you're going to ask it or how you're going to get connected or what are you going to do differently the second time that will maybe elicit a better response because you could just keep asking all day and it will, it will likely be the same thing. Yeah, it doesn't feel good to be that broken record. And no. I think that we often don't like being the broken record, and we but we blame our kids for that fact as right. opposed to checking out our own approach a little bit and thinking, like you said, Hannah, of this is an investment. If we can invest a few minutes of connection, they might actually go clean their room or yeah. brush their teeth. And if we can yeah. keep investing, then our kids will want to do those things on their own. If we keep the positive association going around anything that we really want our kids to do and to yeah. really be building not just the skills in it, but the value in it, the understanding, right? Yeah, so good. I love all your thoughtful connections and insights on the way in which kids think and understand cooperation. It's really good. Thank you. What else? What else do we know about cooperation and or conventional cooperation? What is it that's wrong with motivating or getting a kid to cooperate with, you know, the punishments and the rewards and the threats? Mm -hmm. Well, Kelty and I love to talk about how kids don't just learn about the situation, for example, why toothbrushing is so important when we approach them about it or, or to brush their or, teeth why, right. or to do it, but they really learn by the way we go about teaching them and bringing them into the conversation. So if we're using the control approach to get them to brush their teeth or put down their screens or clean up their room, then they're learning how to control another person. Mm -hmm. We're mm -hmm. teaching them about power in these moments and how power can be used and abused. So yeah. then they go out into the world saying, oh, I just built some serious skills at home in how to <laughs> basically give consequences, uh, think bribe the and world on my own terms, bribe, threaten, right. use shame yeah. tone. And oftentimes they'll even use those with us before yeah. they even leave the home, which does not feel so good, and right? We can <laughs> also be potentially conditioning them to think that that dynamic is normal in work situations, in friendship situations. And I think it's so easy for us to think, no, I'm this isolated thing. I'm just teaching them. I just need them to know that this thing is right or this thing is wrong, or they need to go do these things, but they're going to have really healthy relationships outside of this particular dynamic, right? Yeah. But we're in those moments, we're conditioning them to think that it's okay for someone to shame you or demand something of you or treat you as lesser than they are. So that's moments. a boss. That's a boyfriend. That's a coworker, yeah. that's a neighbor where yeah. they feel like it's okay to either use power that way on these people or experience power that way. Or it feels and, right to them how that's love, right? I've experienced yeah. this at home with my caretakers. Now I'm going to go find somebody who's going to manipulate me. Right? Mm -hmm. That yeah. becomes a safe place, even if it's not the healthiest mm -hmm. or it doesn't always feel that good. And so we like to talk about what we call our resist approach. So when our kids resist us, we use this kind of loose six-step approach which is basically just a human to human conversation to be resisting these greater cultural paradigms of control. So we don't slip into that automatic control tool block. That's like so natural for us to do. The resist approach. Can we just tell you what it stands for? We, so folks could yes, get their, I eyes, their yes. minds around it. We always forget where I was like our resist approach. And then people no, are like, yes, what's that I again? Don't know. Can you tell me? I, <laughs> actually, 
<laughs> yeah. So it stands for, so these are the soft skills and the powers and alternatives beyond control that we want to be using with our kids during these tough moments and that we ultimately want them to be building the skills in so that they can be treating us that way, treating other people, expect to be treated that way, et cetera. And so this is the learning that we're doing as we grow up alongside our kids, because most of us do not have these skills in violent communication, respectful communication. Um, Yeah. 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 And they're not, you know, part and parcel of parenting, but so the resist approach stands for respect, empathize, sync up, innovate, summarize, and trust. So it's kind of a loose step conversational framework that can last for five minutes. It can last for 30 seconds. It can just start with respect and then you move all the way through to yelling or slamming a door. It's the practice of parenting that says, hey, I'm going to try this differently this time, right? I'm going to work on these new skills side by side with my kid and see if we can approach every conflict and I can teach my kids to approach every conflict as just two opposing people's needs that haven't been met yet, right? I like that. And you guys have all this stuff printed out on your beautiful printables. Yes. Yes. We've got our resist approach and the freedoms model that are 10 freedoms to consider too, when we're considering how we ask for our kids' attention and request that they do things. So remembering those freedoms of to nourish, to know, to feel, to play, to move. So those are available for free download on our website. And then we've also come up with a mini guide on supporting kids listening. So basically their cooperation skills um, is available for download on our website also at upbringing.co. I love that. That's so good. And there was one other thing that I was thinking as we were talking and you brought up this really great idea about writing down those times when a child is being resistant or you're having a hard time with their resistance. And I think I do that in my practice too a little bit. And I want to just take it one step further that I do a journaling guide where I say, okay, take that moment in that moment and write about it later and journal. What does it remind you of? Does it remind you of your childhood? Where is it hitting you the wrong way and why? And why is this so hard for you? And just kind of diving into like our own psyche and how those things are kicking up unwanted and unneeded like fears and issues. And I think there's a lot of fear around parenting that we think that if our child is resisting or if they're, you know, not cooperating, that somehow they're bad or they're wrong or we're bad or we're wrong. And sometimes society has told us, like, if your kid acts this way, you're not a great parent. And just to kind of unknot that and to say to myself, like, that's not true. But why do I think that? Mm-hmm. I love that. Getting to that root cause, yeah. raising that awareness and yeah, through journaling, through, you know, talking it out with a friend or a listening mm-hmm. partner or a partner yeah. or a therapist or a coach but kind of slowly discovering without the shame of why does this bother me? Why do I believe that this is so wrong? Because we've all been conditioned to believe it's wrong. It's so hard to believe the kids are doing the best they can all the time and that they're showing us through their behavior, what they need from us. You know, it goes against a lot of conditioning we've had and no one's at fault with that, you know? No, it's really hard. It's hard to flip all your thinking when you think, I mean, I was, you know, trained as a teacher and Teachers are, we're all trained that way. We're all trained in extrinsic motivators completely. And, mm-hmm. and it's really hard to say, oh, I spent, you know, four years and a master's degree. And they told me, everybody told me this is what you should do. And then you get there and you're like, wait, this isn't feeling right. This doesn't sit with me well. And so it's, I think it's really hard to flip our thinking. It's a big yeah. ask. Yeah. Moving from behaviorist to, you know, 
humanist thinking. Yeah, it really, does not yeah, happen really. overnight. That's the practice we're all no. on. That's why we're so grateful yeah. that your podcast and work is out there supporting parents. Yeah. Um, we yeah. encourage everyone to come check our stuff out too. They're just, there's so many yeah. amazing communities out there that we don't yeah. feel alone in this, mm-hmm. you know, and then we no. can normalize these challenges as yeah. so natural that we're all yeah. struggling with, you know, and that with our voices saying as well, that this is a reinforcing practice, right? Mm-hmm. The more times that we can break those cycles and try something new and connect instead of correct or control, we see the progress that our kids make. We see the strength of our relationship. Yeah. You know, it's constantly reinforcing the effort. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I think it's, and there's no shame. I mess up all the time still. I just want, you know, I always like to say that because I think people are like, oh, you're doing it all perfect and you've got it all figured out. Sure, I can rationalize it. I can talk to you guys about it. But when it comes to like actually doing it with my kids, I still get triggered into my mm-hmm. old ways and wanting to control and yell and scream and be a jerk. And so we're all on this journey together. No one's got it completely figured out. We're just trying to do our best. And so I encourage you come along with us and try to do your best with us because it's yeah. <laughs> it's good growth and it's great work. Yeah. yeah. Hard doesn't necessarily mean it's bad or doesn't feel good. Yeah, it's, it's all growth. It's all an opportunity. Absolutely. Yeah. You guys were so lovely. This was great. This was so fun. Yes, thank you. I so appreciate you being here and your insights and your thoughtfulness and the way you think about children. And it was just, it was really lovely. So tell us where we can find you. I know we said a little bit, but why don't you tell us all the places we can find you? Yeah, we are at upbringing.co. That's where you can check out our upcoming membership community, learn about us a little bit more check out our shop that has all those kind of prints we discussed and guides and mini guides. I think so often it's really hard for us to remember, okay, I've got the belief, I'm bought in, but what do I say in the moment? And so that's what most of our mini guides are, is is this helpful phrase inspiration, right? These elements of respect that we can kind of retrain our brains to say when the going gets tough. And then we have a big community over on Instagram and we're also at upbringing.co on Instagram as well. We do a lot of videos We do a couple lives every week with Q&As and we just love to hear about everybody's hard stuff and try and transform it into why it's an opportunity as we're all growing up together. So that's where you can mainly find us. Great. And your printables are so pretty. I want to get them. I've got to go go on your shop and get some. They're so, so pretty. Oh, and I wanted to mention too, the listening mini guide we wanted to offer to your listeners with the code PEACE. Oh, great. I love it. And that's on your Instagram bio link. Yeah. And at our website. I'm on your website too. Great. Thank you guys so much. Thank you, Hannah and Kelty. It was so nice meeting you both. Thank Thank you. you. I loved the conversation I had with Kelty and Hannah from Upbringing on cooperation and how to find meaningful cooperation without using control methods those manipulations that may feel natural, but ultimately leave us all disconnected in the long run. Hannah and Kelty are passionate about parenting for social change and sanity, and I couldn't agree more. If you want to dive deeper into the upbringing community, check them out on Instagram and find their guide and links in the show notes. I'm wishing you a warm 2021 and looking forward to connecting with you online and in our next episode. Bye for now.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.